Lord, thank you so much for this morning and bringing us here and the opportunity you've given us to open your word, Lord, to seek you in it, God, to hear from you and to study your word. And I pray, God, that as you... Uh, come and meet us right where we're at, Lord. May your Holy Spirit fill us and bring us to that place, Lord, where we are really hearing from you, where we are really listening, and where we are really obeying you and the things that you have for us. God, we want to be closer to you. We want to live for you better, God. And Lord, we want to become the men and women of God that you are already making us into. So, Lord... Let us set upon your path, not ours, Lord, to do your will, God, to to bless you, Lord, and to glorify you with our lives. So I ask, God, that you would bless your word, anoint it with your Holy Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever heard the term comfort food or comfort foods? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines comfort food as food prepared in a traditional style having a usually nostalgic or sentimental appeal. Uh, Some definitions I read add that consuming this kind of food reduces stress and makes you feel better. So that's why you go eat that food. They bring comfort when you're going through those hard times times. Now, I came across this article that the top American comfort foods are pizza, chocolate, ice cream, I know you guys do that, uh, mac and cheese, hamburgers, popcorn, pasta, chips, and Mexican food. That's the top American ones. But you know what I was thinking about here in Hawaii, right? We have our own top list, right? They are Spam Musubi, Spam Musubi, no, uh, Shave Ice, Loco Moco, Malasadas, Chicken Katsu, Simon, uh, Butter Mochi, uh, what's listed was Lao Lao, and of course, any kind of plate lunch, right? I don't know about you, but it seems like for me, all local food is comfort food. You know why? Because it all makes me feel real good after, right? <laughs> but we know that ultimately there's only one who gives us comfort in our times of hardship and trials, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we begin a brand new study through the book of Second Corinthians. We finish up First Corinthians the other week. And here the Apostle Paul opens his whole letter with giving praise to the God of all comfort. And that's the title of our message. The God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 1 through verse 11. Kind of a 1, 1, 1, 1 deal here. Now our outline is this. I've broken the passage up into three parts. And number one is Paul's tender heart. Number two is Paul's thankful praise. And number three is Paul's trusting faith. So let's begin here. The God of all comfort is our title. And number one in our outline, Paul's tender heart. Paul's tender heart. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1. 
It reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. We'll stop right there now with verse 1. Now we begin with these very words, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, it it may seem strange to you that he starts this book out with his name right there up at the top. But this is how ancient letters were written. In 2 Corinthians, just as it was in 1 Corinthians, and many of the letters or epistles that it's titled in your Bible, these are ancient letters. And this is how letters began in the New Testament time it began with the writer the author who wrote the book now our letters are reversed right we put from or love at the end of our letter but back then in the ancient time the person who wrote the letter is mentioned first so paul says paul i'm the one who wrote it this is the letter and then he states that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, we know Paul is one of the apostles that God had called, and we know his testimony in the book of Acts. But here I love where he says, I'm an apostle, but by the will of God. In other words, he's not some self-appointed apostle. He didn't give himself some certificate and made himself this apostle. No. Paul actually put it another way in Galatians 1.1. When he wrote that letter, he began with Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. So the first thing we find here at the beginning of this book or this letter, we find the writer is Paul, and he is an official apostle who is called and appointed by God. Now, sometimes Paul... He, he describes himself. He says, Paul, a, a bond servant of Christ. Sometimes he says it that way. But here, it's an important statement because later he's going to be writing to defend himself, his ministry, his position against the false teachers that are coming against him. So in this book, in this letter, he says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. And if you look here in verse 1, We also see with Paul is Timothy. Paul writes, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy is Paul's close assistant and disciple. He's his companion. He's the same one Paul wrote to in first and second, Timothy. Timothy was raised up under Paul, right? And this is his disciple, his, his, his guy right there. So we see that Timothy is there with Paul as he writes this letter. So it's Paul and Timothy, the writers or the people who are sending this letter. Now, uh, the other day I got this card from my mother and uh, those in my mom's handwriting, she signed it off as love mom and dad. Now that means dad was part of this too, that my dad was sending this card in this note too and it came with my dad's heart even though my mother had written this card in her own handwriting well this is the idea here paul is the writer but timothy is there and his heart is there with paul and all that this letter uh, uh, includes there so we have first the writer was paul and timothy there too then verse one goes on and look what it says the second part says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Now, as ancient letters go, 
Next comes the recipients. First is the writer, the author. Then it's who the letter is written to. So here it says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So it's to the Corinthian church here. It's to this church. Primarily, it's to them. And then Paul adds, also, not them, but with all the saints, which is all the Christians, in all of Achaia. Remember, we covered that the other day. It's the region where the city of Corinth lives. It'd be like uh, saying, uh, uh, and you know, here to Paul's writing a, a letter to the church up country, up country Calvary, and also all the other Christians that are in Maui. So it's that sort of idea. See. This letter was first to be read to the believers in the Corinthian church. And then it's shared to the other Christians or uh, the other churches in that area. Now, understand this as we, we begin to get into this book. Even though this letter is called Second Corinthians, many co- scholars actually say this is the fourth letter to the Corinthian believers. Uh, uh, we only have so many. We only have two letters. So we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But many believe this is the fourth letter. First letter he wrote was alluded to in 1 Corinthians 5.9 when we studied that back then. His second letter would have been our 1 Corinthians letter, the one we just studied. Now, after he sent that letter, the 1 Corinthians letter that we studied, Paul then went to the city of Corinth. He went to the church. Remember, we ended the letter like Paul's like, hey, I want to go there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to make plans to try and be there and see you guys. So he went there. But because of their continual carnality, worldliness, pride, selfishness, uh, uh, disunity in a bottle, in the body, it ended up as a what we'll see later in 2 Corinthians 2, a painful vi- uh, visit. For him, So Paul went back to Ephesus after that, and he wrote another letter to the Corinthian church, which would be the third letter. I know you're going, what? I'm confused. First, second, third. So there was an early letter we don't have, and then First Corinthians, which would have been the second letter. Then there's this third letter we don't have. Now that letter was a more exhortive, more severe, quote, letter that we don't have. And so he sent this letter because it's really like, oh, you guys aren't getting it. This kind of thing. He sent that letter. And then when he couldn't wait to hear from them, uh, from from their response and everything, and Titus had taken it, he went and met Titus and found him in Macedonia. And Titus gave him some good news that the Corinthian believers had repented. So he got excited. And then, you know what? He writes this letter, what we call the book of 2 Corinthians. That's his fourth letter, and we call it 2 Corinthians. And that's a letter. This is the epistle. This is the book we call it in our Bible that we are going to be studying. And in this letter, it's a much more personal letter for Paul. He shares more of his heart. He shares his love for them and the church. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So here's Paul, the writer. It's to the Corinthian church, and it's this fourth letter that he's writing with all of his heart. Now look at verse 2. He goes on and he writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next thing we find in ancient letters is 
the blessing. It's the blessing. First is what? The writer, right? Secondly is the recipient. And then the custom of ancient letters is this little blessing, this uh, well-wishing that Paul does. So he says, grace to you. What's grace? Undeserved favor, undeserved kindness, right? Actually, the Greek word is charis here, which is their greeting. Back then, the Greeks would, would greet each other with grace, grace to you, grace to you. So Paul puts that in, this wish, this grace to you. And then he says, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seems to now adapt the Jewish greeting of shalom, which is peace, combining both ways, saying, hey, grace and peace to you. It'd be just like, you know, we sign our letters like, oh, God bless you, you know, and we sign our letters off like that. Or may the Lord be with you. It's that type of blessing in these letters, in these ancient uh, letters and how they wrote them. So here's a sweet blessing of grace and peace to the Corinthian church. David Lawry said in his commentary, grace refers to the love of God in action and peace is its result. I like that idea, grace and peace. So what we see here in the first two verses is the writing of Paul's introduction is not just this customary thing, but it reflects the tender heart toward the Corinthian believers. And I want you to see that here. Though it's this customary greeting, the writing of Paul's introduction is not just customary, but reflects his tender heart toward the Corinthian believers. Because you know what? When Paul writes something, he's going to be sincere. He's going to be genuine. He's not just going to write it because, oh, well, this is how we do ancient letters. No, when he says something, when he writes something, he's real with it. So the writing of Paul's introduction is not just customary, but reflects his tender heart toward them. In an effort to win the churches over, this government leader used Christian vocabulary. He wrote speeches about Quote, the blessings of the Almighty. He said that the Christian creeds, the doctrines and beliefs were to be the pillars of the new government he was setting up. He even, in his speeches, he held up a tattered Bible and said, I draw strength from it. Many welcomed him as a man sent from God. And with that, he deceived many people, even Christians, And you know what? They started wearing his swastikas and giving allegiance to Adolf Hitler. Can you believe that? He said these words and he was trying to woo the churches and all. There was a group of churches that uh, pastors said, no, we know what is going on. And they stood their ground against and many were persecuted. Hitler may have used the customary lingo to manipulate and gain a following, but not Paul. Not Paul here. If he didn't mean it, he wouldn't have written it. And this is what we see at first. The writing of Paul's introduction is not just this customary thing, but it really reflects his tender heart. And we're going to see that unfold in this book of 2 Corinthians. Let me ask you that. This, is your words just words? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Sometimes we walk around. Hallelujah. Yeah. But they're just words to throw out to to put a mask on maybe even hey how about this one? oh love you brother yeah is it really love you really love them you really forgive them you really loving them with agape love like that's the love we're supposed to have in the new testament is there really love behind those 
words. When you say praise the Lord for something, is it really praising the Lord? Or is it just a phrase you throw out and, yeah, that's the customary thing we do around here in church? Yeah. Not Paul. His introduction wasn't just customary, but it really reflects his tender heart. When he said grace and peace, he really wished that upon them. All right, let's go on to number two now, Paul's thankful praise. Paul's thankful praise. We've seen Paul's tender heart. Now we come to Paul's thankful praise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now these two verses are, are an amazing, incredible passage here before us and many of you have read this many of quote this many of you this this is this is what you hold on to and i love this now understand as we come into verse three and four this is the next section of how ancient letters usually go so after the writer the recipient the blessing now we come to this special prayer or here it's a praise to god and so Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his prayer. This is his, his, his praise to the Lord. Just how, how, how ancient letters go. Then NLT version renders this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just, this is where Paul's at. Paul gives glory to God. Well, what's the reasons he's giving glory? Well, Paul actually has four reasons for this thankful praise. Number one, the thankful praise he has is for the person of comfort. Thankful praise for the person of comfort. Look what Paul writes. He says, the Father of mercies. Blessed be God, the God our, and Father of our Lord Jesus. The Father, he's praising God for the Father of mercies. God is the Father of mercies. Father here is meaning he's the originator. He's the source of mercy. God is mercy, right? God gives mercy. And Paul is praising him that the Father is the person of comfort here. Jesus said in John 8, if you remember this, John 8, 44, he said that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus says not only was he the first well, one to lie, basically saying, but verse 44 in John 8, Jesus says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we understand here. So Paul is saying, hey, thank God. I thank him and praise that God is mercy and he gives mercy to us sinners. And what is mercy? Mercy means not getting what you deserve, right? God holds that back. We, get, we have mercy from him. Not getting what you deserve. Or grace is what, what? undeserved favor, right? Getting something that we don't deserve. And Paul asks, says, with that, Paul adds, he is the God of all comfort. So he's the father of mercies, original, but he's the God of all comfort. The word comfort here is paraklete, paraklete in the Greek. And it means come alongside and help. It's the same word. 
that is used for the Holy Spirit. But here Paul puts it to the Father. And there's even in Scripture that says Jesus is our paraclete day too. Well, here he's saying the Father, God, is our, the one who comes alongside and helps. Now, the idea here is God is not just come to us to soothe our hurts and all that. No, but He gives us strength to keep going in boldness and courage. That's the help. That's the true help. And notice it says all comfort. It means all true lasting comfort comes from God. He's the only one who can give us this kind of comfort and strength. David wrote in Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? Where comes my comfort, that strength? My help, David writes, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice this kind of comfort, this kind of help, this kind of strength, it speaks of action. It's not just some words like, oh, yeah, I hope you feel better. Oh, you know, it speaks of doing something, and that's the kind of comfort we're talking about. That's the all comfort that God is. So number one, Paul gives thankful praise for the person of comfort. Then number two, Paul gives thankful praise for the promise of comfort. The promise of comfort. Look at verse 4. It says, who comforts us in all our tribulations. So God helps us. God strengthens us. God comes alongside us in all our tribulation. Now, notice it says all. And we learned last week from Pastor Ron, right? What is all? All, right? Everything, any situation, every tribulation, all your tribulation. Tribulation literally in the original language means pressure. Pressure. So it talks about affliction, trouble, trials, anything like that. Any situation, circumstances that is hard, says here. The promise of comfort is God comforts us in all. The idea really is the God of comfort will comfort us in any of our trials and tribulations. That's the promise, you guys. This is the promise of comfort. Spurgeon said, my own weakness makes me shrink but god's promise makes me brave i love that yeah you can carry this promise with you that he'll be there to help you and it will make you brave you can face those situations face those circumstances with god right there with you it is god's comfort that helps us cope with all that life can do to us Know that today. All right, so we have number one, thankful praise for the person of comfort. Number two, thankful praise for the promise of comfort. And now number three, thankful praise for the purpose of comfort. Number three is the purpose of comfort. Look at verse four again. Then Paul says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I love that. We can now comfort others because God has comforted us. See, God has come alongside us, has helped us, and, and then He'll send you to come alongside someone else who is going through what you did, and then you can be there for that person as God was there for 
you. The idea really here is that trials, troubles, they have a purpose. Yeah? It's not just, and we understand trials. I taught you guys before how they're for us to grow, right? We learn our lessons. We understand things of the Lord more. We hold on to His promises. We grow in faith and trust. And it's not just for that. But here, Paul is really pointing out trials, circumstances, trouble. It is so God can use you to relate to others going through the very same thing. That's the idea here. Remember in Luke 22, uh, Jesus told Peter in verse 21 and 22 in Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prepared for you uh, that I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus said, hey. No worries. I prayed for you. Your faith won't fail. Your faith is going to get tried. Satan's going to shake you up here. He's going to shake your trust in me. He's going to shake your faith here. But I prayed, you're going to make it. You're going to get through. You're going to be okay. And then once you return, Jesus said, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen the other disciples, the other guys that are going to go through the very same thing. Help them out now. You know, I, I, I was talking to Pastor Ron when he was here last week and we were, we're sharing about some things and I was sharing about some situations in ministry and stuff. And I'll tell you what, it meant so much to me when he said, you know what, I've been through that too, Pastor Rick. I've been through that too, Rick. And I know what it's like. And this is what happened. I thought, whoa, we can relate here. He can relate to me. And then he said, well, this is what God did. And this is how God moved. And it was like, oh, you guys understand, right? When you talk to someone who's been through the same exact situations and trials and troubles and hurts, yeah? Oh, you're like, wow, you understand me. And they use these words like, that's that's exactly how I felt. They use words like, that's how I feel and that's what I went through. You can relate, and it helps so much. You know, if you lose your job, if you've lost your job and you talk to someone who's lost theirs, and you're, you're like talking and praying with one another, oh, it means so much. You can relate, yeah? When you struggle with sicknesses and someone else says, oh, you too, oh, thank you, yeah? Let's, let's talk. And it's so wonderful to be able to relate to someone in that way. Now, it's not that you can't minister to someone if you've never went through that same thing. Scripture, the way God works, the truth of God is still powerful. But what Paul is saying, you know, when you go through these things, it's not just for that. When you go through these things, God will use what you've went through, your experience, the comfort, the help that you've gotten, the strength you've got to help someone else. It's just better in that way. Someone said, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable but to make us comforters. I love that. Let me say that again. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Listen, all of God's most effective comforters are wounded comforters. That's the way it works. Then look at verse 5. Paul goes on and says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So number four here, Paul's thankful praise is for the protocol 
of comfort. I call it the protocol of comfort. We've seen the th thankful praise for the person of comfort, the promise of comfort, and the purpose of comfort, and now the protocol of comfort. Paul writes here in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound, the troubles that come not from sin or consequences of sin or bad choices. No, what he's talking about those who do the will of God, those who are living in obedience to the Lord, those who life is lived for Jesus, and even when the persecution comes upon you, those sufferings because of the result of the choices you make in living for God. Paul says those sufferings abound. Even though those sufferings abound, he says our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. The idea, it abounds even more. In others, even though the sufferings on behalf of Christ are much, the comfort through Jesus is much more. I love that. The idea really is, God is God's protocol is out to outmatch this suffering with way more comfort. I think about Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So even though we may go through some suffering, discomfort, because of our obedience and how we live for the Lord, Paul's saying, hey, you know what? But God's going to come with even more comfort. That's his protocol here. Verse 6, he goes on talking about this, and he says, Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So he's saying, if we, the apostles, the ministers, the leaders in the church, if we are afflicted, you know, it's all really for your comfort. In other words, our afflictions is to benefit you guys. Yeah, we're sticking through it. We're, we're preaching the gospel. We're continuing on in the suffering, doing what God has called us to do. And it's going to benefit you guys, which actually it's affected. It's going to help you to endure suffering also with the truths of God. But also he's saying if we're, we are comforted, then you know what? Even that's for your comfort and salvation too. Verse 7, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So Paul is saying our hope is steadfast. In other words, he's super confident in this, in what he's saying, in God's protocol, that as they partake in these sufferings, in these same sufferings of Christ, that you guys too will partake in the consolation or the comfort of God. We know this truth. This is God's protocol. Paul encourages them to know that even his suffering serves them with God's comfort because they're going to see God come through just as uh, God has for him. Now I want to take a moment here to bring our theme for the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians is all about this, and this is our theme. Finding comfort, encouragement, and strength in Jesus. This is our theme of the whole book. Finding comfort, encouragement, and strength in Jesus. Listen to what I like how the NLT puts 2 Corinthians 1.5, which is more like our theme verse here. Uh, 
NLT puts, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So here in this book of 2 Corinthians, you know what we're going to discover? We're going to find comfort, encouragement, and strength in Jesus. Overall, that's what we're going to find. We're going to see in 2 Corinthians, Paul defending his ministry against the false teachers. And even through that, even seeing his ministry, seeing his suffering he went through, seeing how he stands for truth and for what God has called him to do, we're going to find that strength and encouragement. We're going to see him take care of some uh, disobedience and sin going on in the Corinthian church. And we're going to find that to strengthen our walk with the Lord. We're going we're gonna to hear his heart. He's going to share his heartfelt concerns. And he's going to really expound on, on salvation and the truth in that. And I'll tell you, we're going to find a lot of encouragement and comfort in that. All of this is to bring comfort, encouragement, and strength to us in our Christian walk. Now, if you've never studied a book of the Bible before, you know, I ask you guys, I ask everybody, let's make a commitment today to study this book together, to come every week that we're in this book. And, and, and it's wonderful, right? When we study through a book, and those of you guys have been with me for a while, it's such a good feeling like, oh, yeah, we studied this. Whew, we got it, you know. And even if you miss, you know, grab the CD and all. But as we study this book, I encourage you guys to stay committed to, to, to come every week. We study together. And I'll tell you what, we're going to find that comfort, encouragement, and strength in Jesus. Well, overall, we see in this thankful praise, this thankful praise brings out the reality of God's comfort toward us and the comfort we are to give to others. This thankful praise brings out the reality of God's comfort toward us and the comfort we are to give to others. And I think it's something we need to learn to do. We need to keep that in mind that whatever we go through and how God comes and how we experience Him and how He strengthens us and gets us through that time, and He will, right? He's going to give us more comfort than the, the suffering that we receive. I think we need to learn how to be good comfort, comforters. And our, and our author named Joe Bailey talked about an experience that he had after losing one of his children. He wrote, I was sitting there torn by grief. Someone came and talked of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he would go away. He finally did. Another person came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask me leading questions. He just sat beside me and listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Sometimes I think when we try and comfort people, it's more about us and what we got to say yeah, and what they need to do because they're doing it wrong but what we should uh, do is walk in their slippers right and when we go through the same thing then we can relate better we're concerned more of them we understand what it's like and we can we can say oh you know the same thing happened to me i'm convicted 
have you been a bad comforter lately? You can ask my wife. I'm not a very good comforter. What? Just do this and this. You know, logic. You know, my mind's like, logic. Do this and this and you'll be okay. You know? But my wife wants me to listen to her. Oh, yes, baby. Yes, sorry. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Guys, you understand, right? Not always bringing the answer, being the pastor, solving the problem of this, yeah? Right? I mean, a lot of the times my day is like, problem, okay, solution. Problem, solution. Take care of this. Take care of that, right? And, and all. But sometimes I got to stop and listen. How about you? I think we need to learn to be better comforters. A little girl came home from a neighbor's house where her friend, her little friend, had actually died. Why did you go, asked the father. The little girl said, to comfort her mommy, said the little girl. Well, what did, what did you do to comfort her, asked the father. The little girl replied, I climbed into her lap and cried with her. I think that's the idea. That's it. We cry together. I feel your pain because I went through the same pain. I know what it's like because I went through it. Some of us can be too black and white. Some of us can be too, like, harsh. We need to remember how, what it was like when we went through the same thing. All right. Well, let's go to number three, Paul's trusting faith. The God of all comfort, we've seen Paul's tender heart. Number two, Paul's thankful praise. And now number three here, Paul's trusting faith. Paul's trusting faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 now. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. So now Paul goes on in this letter and he's transitioning into his body really from being the, he mentioned the writer, right? The recipient, the blessing, uh, the prayer of praise now. now. Now he's transitioning here, coming off of what he just talked about, coming off of what God has done in helping him, strengthening and help and, and being there for him. And now in verse 8, Paul brings up this situation now that he went through. Now, we don't know exactly what that is, but it seems here in a way he's writing this that the Corinthians probably knew about it. We don't have any details. But he wanted them to, be, uh, to, to not be ignorant about it or uninformed of how bad it was for them. This trouble, he says, happened in Asia. And whatever it was, it burdened him beyond measure. The word burden here in original language is crushed. It crushed them there. Beyond measure. Beyond measure meaning beyond the ability for them to even endure. That, and they become so discouraged. And they feared for their life. Whatever the situation was, it was to the point that Paul felt it was more than he could handle. How many of you had those situations, huh? Overwhelmed. More than I can handle. The Greek word here for despaired, it literally means no way out, no exit. Paul was saying there was no way out of this desperate situation. We, we were crushed. It was beyond us. We had no ability. We couldn't endure. Verse 9, he says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That, and then he says that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, this is a little hard here, but he, okay, he says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. What he's saying, we expected to die. 
We, we thought we're, we're going we're gonna to die here, basically. But when he says that we should not trust in ourselves, he says, but you know what? This situation made us stop and trust and rely on not ourselves, but in God. And who's this God? This God who raises the dead. Because God has no power I mean, God, death has no power over God. So this situation, this overwhelming situation where, where he felt like there's no way out, you know what it did for Paul? It made them look to God. This situation where he felt like they were going to die, it made them look, for, look toward the God who raises the dead, who can overcome death. In other words, Paul's like, this, is the, this no way out situation brought us to the place where we had to rely upon God. Oh, does that seem familiar? How many of us been there, yeah? Where there's no hope, yeah? Where, where it's like everything in, in, within our, our, our control is not working. The money's not there. Yeah, I, 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 no one's there for us. Um, we, we, we don't have it in our means. Uh, things are outside of our control and, and situations are going on. We're like, what else can we do? We go to God. That's what Paul's saying. He looked to God who is the one in control, who has the power. One of my favorite, favorite quotes from Corey Ten Boom is this. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So good, yeah? Perhaps that's what God is doing in your life right now. Do you feel things are out of control? Do you feel like, I can't get, gain control. I, things are slipping out of my hands. Perhaps the reason is God's allowing it so that you would look to God and rely upon Him. Verse 10 Paul then goes on and says, Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So they look to this God, the God who raises the dead, who, who is more powerful in their situation where they felt like there's no way out, where they're going to die. They look to God who raised Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, who delivered us who did deliver us from so great a death. And then he says, who does deliver us? And then whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Isn't that great? There's past, present there. God did deliver us. God's going to continue to deliver us and God will still deliver us, right? The same God is going to be there. If God delivered us once, he's going to deliver us now and again and again and again. What a great, great promise for us here. What a great word for us here. A lot of times I, I make myself think back when I'm in the middle of a situation. go, Rick, I talk to myself, Rick, hey, remember God helped you over here? You think he's going to help you here? Oh, yes, he will. What are you thinking, Rick? You know, kind of thing, right? If he's done this, isn't, wouldn't he help you here? And if he's going to help you there, then why are you fearful of the future also? Paul saying, past, present, future, if he's delivered you once, he's going to deliver you again and again and again. Now, this may all be bringing up this 
question. You ever been asked this question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Anyone ever asked you that? You ever thought about that? Well, first of all, understand there is no good people. Yeah. There is no good people. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, everybody. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There are no good people. We only have breath in our lungs and we can live every day because of the mercy of God and the daily grace that He gives us. I think it's better to ask this way. Why does bad things happen to Christians? Why does that, right? Most of us understand, well, bad things happen to bad people because they're bad. <laughs> and sometimes we wish that more than we should, <laughs> right? But really, our real question is, why do bad things happen to me, a child of God? Doesn't God love me? Why does He allow these things to happen? Well, we've been seeing the answer, haven't we? And I already mentioned to you for growth, lessons, you know, growing in faith and trust. But here... We see, first of all, so we would be comforted and so we can comfort other people. So that we can experience God in our lives, so we can help other people experience God in their lives as we relate to them. But then here, not what we just saw, is the other reason. To learn to rely upon God, to experience His faithfulness again and again. That's why God will allow things to happen so we would go to Him. If, if everything was o o always great and wonderful, right? Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, I'm saved. Going to heaven. Our nature is then just to forget. Yeah. But when He allows these things to happen, then we grow in our relationship with the Lord. We experience God. We understand what, it, what that really means to rely upon God and for God to strengthen us. And how does that, we really understand how that means in our individual lives when, we, when, when certain situations we go through. We experience the Holy Spirit giving us power and ability. We experience God's peace in the middle of, of a hurricane. We find joy isn't in how we feel, but it's in Jesus alone. That's what we find. Maybe through that, that, that continual sickness that you battle, you're like, God, why are you allowing this? I don't, I don't like this. And yet physically, you, you don't feel good. And, but you know what? You can find Jesus still in the midst of that and find joy. You can find peace. You can find His presence with you. That's what we it's this experience that we find. It's growth we find. It's a closeness to Jesus like we've never had before. Verse 11, our last verse. Then Paul says, You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. In other words, the Corinthian believers, they've been helping too with Paul in this situation by together being in prayer for Paul and his team. And that's another way that this trial has been a blessing, not just to Paul, but for them also. For many will give thanks to God for the gift granted. What's the gift granted? The answer to their prayers. Paul being delivered. Paul 
uh, God being there for them again and again. As people prayed for their situation, they also learned to rely on God and calling out to Him. That, that's the idea. Paul's saying, you guys are even learning. As you're praying for us, you're, you're learning to rely upon God, to look to God and call out to Him and see how prayer works. James 5.16 says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So our last point this morning is this. Paul's trusting faith came from the extreme circumstances when it seemed like there was no way out. Along with the Corinthian believers in their prayer, Paul's trusting faith came from the extreme circumstances when it seemed like there was no way out. And that's where we really see God, right? That's when we really see a clear picture of God working in our life when in those extreme circumstances, oh, suddenly we see the Lord. Understand, Paul was trusting God that he, God would know how much he could handle, yeah? And God would be there for him. So Paul's trusting faith came from these extreme circumstances when it seemed like there was no way out. It's been said when God puts his children in the furnace, he keeps one hand on the thermostat and the other hand on the thermometer. I love that. God knows what he's doing when he puts us in the oven. And I'll tell you what, he won't keep us there too long. We won't get like I did the other day, burn my toast. <laughs> Crispy black stuff. Ah. Trust God in what he is doing in your life. Let me say that to you again. Trust God in what He is doing in your life, bad or good, hard or suffering. Learn to rely upon Him and then you'll find God in the midst of your situation. And it'll be incredible. You'll be like, wow. Let me read to you a poem by William Coltman uh, with the same point. He wrote, Until I learned to trust, I never learned to pray. I did not learn to fully trust till sorrows came my way. Until I felt my weakness, his strength I never knew, nor dreamed till I was stricken that he could see me through. He who, he who deepest drinks of sorrow drinks deepest too of grace. He sends the storm so he himself can be our hiding place. His heart that seeks our highest good knows well when things annoy that we would not long for heaven if earth held my joy. I love that. So sweet. All in all here, God is building us in character, right? He's making us people who trust God, who have faith in Him. People who are good comforters because they've been through it too. And they've seen God and they have that confidence, the super confidence without a doubt. God's going to be there with you because he was, be, he was with me. Will you allow God to do that? Will you submit to what he's allowed? Will you, will you surrender yourself and stop fighting him and fighting others? Because this is what God is doing. Warren Wiersbe said, God has to work in us before he can work through us. It is much easier for us to grow in knowledge than to grow in grace. Learning God's truth and getting it into our heads is one thing. But living God's truth and getting it into our character 
is quite something else. Good word there, yeah? So good. This is the truth. This is what we need to realize, to see in our suffering, in our hardship, in our troubles. This is the process that we got to go through. We got to let the process work itself out. That's God's plan. And then you will find what it means to rely on God. And then you'll see God become your comforter. And you will see how you can become a comforter to others. But you got to be willing and open to God's comfort. And sometimes that comes in different ways than we imagine. I'll close with this story. A young mother once wrote, It was one of the worst days of my life. She said the washing machine broke down, the telephone kept ringing, my head ached, and the mailman brought a bill I had no money to pay. Almost to the breaking point, she wrote, I lifted my one-year-old into his high chair, leaned over, leaned my head against the tray, and I began to cry. Without a word, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and stuck it into mine. (laughs) I love that. Comfort may come from the strangest of places, but it will come, no doubt. This is our God. This is our Jesus. This is the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your comfort toward us, and thank you for this word. Thank you for the promise, Lord, that you will will give us comfort in all our troubles, Lord, that you will be there for us. And you have a purpose in it all, that we would be good comforters and that we would be able to relate, that we would be able to help each other, Lord, and that we would be tools and instruments, Lord, pacifiers, so to speak, to help others get through what they're going through, just as you got us through. Lord, we want to be your servants, God. And though these are the situations, the circumstances that make it hard to be your servant, but Lord, help us to persevere. Strengthen us, God. Give us, Lord, a vision of you, Jesus. Give us a a sense of your presence, God. And by your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to make it through, to keep going, to step by step, Lord, pressing through, Lord. God, give us the mercy and grace that we need every day because we're not perfect, Lord. But thank you that you love us and you're there for us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us. So, God, be the God of all comfort to us this day. And I pray over those right now, Lord, that are going through it. It's hard. They're trudging through it. Lord, they want to give up. They want to give in, Lord. But God, meet them right now. I pray you speak a word to them. I pray you touch them, God. Even if it's a feeling. And sometimes, Lord, we, I know we got to live by faith, but sometimes we just, we just need that touch, God, to help us through. And as I speak these words in this prayer to you, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Touch them right now. Let them know that you are there. Let them know that there's security, a foundation in you. And nothing, nothing will bring us down, Lord. Jesus, you love us so much. And you'll never let us go. 
Jesus, help us, God, to become more and more like you as we grow in grace, as we learn, and as we find our trust and faith in you. Do your work within us, God. Help us through the process. And Jesus, may we fall in love with you more and more and more. Thank you, God. Thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.